You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Bezras Hashem, tonight we're going to get started a little bit on trying to enter into Maisa Mebitachon. And there's a lot that can be said on nearly every word. Um, and Bezras Hashem, that's uh, something that I've been working on in terms of writing, that how every word kind of contains within itself various secrets and psychological insights and different uh, valuable etzos, which I, like we said, can be found in any of Rabbi Nachman's writings. But um, let's get started. Melech echad amar belibo, mi yimsa So this king, this king wants to see if there's anybody in his kingdom who worries less than he does. Now, this question could have been phrased in a different way. This question could have been phrased as the king trying to see if there was anybody as happy as he was. But instead of phrasing it in a positive of trying to see if there was anybody who was as happy as he was, it was phrased in the negative, almost as if it was a given that everybody worries, even the king worries. In this world, there's no such thing as not worrying. The only question is, to what extent do we worry? Because here we have the king who is theoretically the loftiest in the system of all human beings in this story. And instead of saying that he has absolute happiness and absolute joy, he identifies his strength, not in the absence of worry, but in the minimal amount of worry. Almost as if to say that worry is a given. It's not something that a person has the capacity to get rid of. Rather, it's a question of amount. And I think that this is a very important kuda that Rabbi Nachman is trying to let us in on over here. Because for many people, the spiritual quest or the, God, the goal of spirituality in many different frameworks is to live a life of complete serenity, is to live a life of complete calm, menucha shlema, calmness, without any distortion whatsoever, without any ripples, without any struggle, without any anticipation or unknowingness. But here, like elsewhere, Rabbi Nachman is letting us in on a secret that to be an Evet Hashem also means to be first and foremost a human being. And one of the most unique, radical, revolutionary elements that Rabbi Nachman brought back to the framework of spiritual work is that before one can begin to serve God, they have to first and foremost acknowledge what it means to be human. And to be human means to be a baldaiga. To be human means to live with a certain sense of worry. That daiga worry, it's not a question of whether I have it or not. It's a question of to what degree do I have it. That anxiety is always there. It's not a question of whether the volume is on. It's a question of what level is that volume playing at. And so at the beginning of the story, the king already introduces us. Rabbi Nachman already throws us into 
a broke down world. This is not a perfect world. This is a king who is theoretically jealous, a king who theoretically is comparing himself, uncomfortable, uncertain in his own happiness in his own home, but rather needing that external affirmation in relationship to other people. It's a world of self-esteem. If the king had uncovered a secret of self-acceptance, then there would be no need to measure his lack of worry in relationship to anybody else's lack of worry. But because the king lives in this world of darkness, in this world of nighttime, as we're going to see, so his level of self-appreciation was not independent of other people, but rather it was completely and entirely dependent upon how other people were feeling and expressing themselves. Where did the king arise with this thought to go out and see if anybody else worries less than he does? Rabbi Nachman says, Amar Belibo, he says it in his heart. The mind, theoretically, is a space of fullness. The mind is a space where I can know things absolutely. Knowledge is perfect, theoretically. I can know a sugya clear. I can know a concept absolutely. And in that idealized ivory tower of thinking, so it's possible for me to say that there's no problem here. There's no worry whatsoever. But when a person begins to pay attention to their heart, when a person begins to pay attention to what their heart is telling them at a given moment, that's where we begin to experience what it means to be human. The Ikr Nakuda of Hasidus, the Ikr Nakuda of Rabbi Nachman, is to awaken with the individual the sense of their heart. That we should have a lave that's margish things, that we should have vulnerability of the heart. Now, obviously, the heart is not the seat of emotions, but rather it's the heart within the brain. But in the end of the day, the ultimate goal is to break that heart open and allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Svarim say that Breslev is osios lev basar. It's a heart of flesh when you switch over that sin with the samich. Lev basar, the entire tachlis of Rabbi Nachman was to come to teach us how to have a heart of flesh in contradistinction to a lev ha'even. The opposite of a lev basar, the opposite of a feeling heart, a vulnerable heart, a heart that understands that in order for me to feel fullness in my heart, I have to also be open to the possibility of brokenheartedness. And that very often, as the Balatanya tells us, our heart is split in two. In the Lashon of the Zayhar, that each and every Jew has to walk around with chedva takua beliba mesitrada, the b'chia takua beliba besitrada. That a Jewish individual has to have a split heart that on the one side has joy and gladness, on the other side it has bechia, sadness. That I can't have one without the other. One of the most difficult lessons that we learn in life is that we cannot selectively numb emotions. If I want to taste the goodness of emotional experience, I have to also be susceptible to the intensity of negative emotions. And if I try and kill off negative emotions, whether by way of chemistry, whether by way of denial or repression or any of the unhealthy pathways that we take, then I also kill off the opportunity for positive feelings. The lave is always doubled, right? We have two parts of our heart. Now, ultimately, the secret is to understand that those two parts of the heart are in truth revealing a singular essence of what it means to have a heart. But the goal is to have a lave basar, and specifically in the heart that the king says to himself, 
you know what? Let me be honest with myself. I'm not fully happy. Even me, even the king is not fully happy. And I want to go out and see if there's anybody who worries less than I do. To make sure that there's nobody who worries less than me. I have everything good. I'm king. And therefore, I obviously worry the least. And therefore, I want to see if there's anybody else who, who worries less. And he goes out and he wanders around in the nighttime. And he goes out in nighttime. And he goes in back of the houses in order to hear what's going on. Now, nighttime is specifically the place to find this out. This worldliness and all of its concealment from the language of Oilam, which is Lashan He'elem, it's compared to the night. The nighttime is a time of confusion. The nighttime is a, a, a time of fear. The nighttime is a time where the animals come out, as the Psukim tell us in Mishle and Tehillim. And so the king really wanted to see the status of his people, of his nation, and to truly get a taste of how a person feels it's in the vulnerability of the night. The daytime is a time where we put on our facades, where we wear our different levushim, where we walk around with our kelim, mekelim shonim, different vessels, different faces, different masks that we put on in order to be received in the light of the sun by other people. It's where we have our defenses up. It's where we need to maintain our reputations. It's where we're actively engaged in the world, the hustle and bustle. The nighttime, however, especially in the writings of Rabbi Nachman and the writings of Pnei Miyasa is the opposite. It's a time of finally coming home and being who I am. If I want to study how a person experiences life, if I want to understand who I am, it's better to look at myself in the light of the nighttime than it is to look at myself in the light of the daytime. Because at nighttime is when I allow myself to truly listen to what my heart is telling me. And so I finally realized that Rabbi Nishleilam, without you, I've got nothing. During the day, we could forget about the Rabbi Nishleilam. We can think, we can fall into the, the natural forgetfulness and feel that I've got my stuff together. I'm in control here. I'm driving the bus. At nighttime, when we start hearing the creaks and those whispers that we're afraid of that go back to our childhood very often, it's at that time where a person relinquishes their self-control or their idea of self-control. And they acknowledge that this is where I'm going to have to encounter HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He was walking at nighttime. And this is something that's very clear in Rabbi Nachman's stories, that they're stories of nighttime. They're not daytime stories. They're nighttime. They're surrounded by the notion that there's something to be afraid of. There's something unknown standing at the distance. One of my favorite nakudos, one of my favorite teachings is a teaching from the Sayyid Yisharim of Ishbetz and Radzin, who tells us that the first mission in Torah Shabbat, the first mission in Masechus Brachos, says, from when do I start reciting Kriyat Shema at nighttime? And what the Sayyid Yisharim points out is that from when can also be read in a different way. Me'emasai is the same letters as Ema of fear. Me'emasi kairaneshma ba'arvis. As a result of my fear, as a result of my anxiety, as a result of my vulnerability of being human, I am forced, I am compelled to scream out Shema Yisrael at night. Because it's specifically the nighttime where we feel most afraid. And it's specifically that sense of fear that propels us 
to come closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So another Maisa from the base Medrash of Radzin, the Baal Hador Yasharim, who was a son or a grandson of the Said Yasharim, tells a Maisa about his great-grandfather, the Beis Yaakov, or his grandfather, the Beis Yaakov, of Radzin, the son of the Meshiloach. And he writes in the introduction to his book about the history of Ishbitz and Radzin, he writes that he used to have insomnia. He used to not be able to sleep well at night as a young child. And he would wander around the house creaking on the floors. And the only person who was up at the times that he was awake was his grandfather, the Beis Yaakov, who was learning quietly in his study. And there were times where he would kind of peek through the door and his Zaydi, the Beis Yaakov, would see. And the Beis Yaakov would close his Gemara. And he would put his coat on. And he would pick up his walking stick and he would hold my hand, says the grandson. And he would open the front door and he would walk with me in the night, pointing at different things, teaching me why a Jew should never be afraid of anything. And it's a powerful story, but it's only powerful when we're aware of when it's taking place. It's taking place in the nighttime, in that place of vulnerability. And not only that, but the king doesn't only go in to the nighttime to see the worries of the people. He goes me'achore habatim. He's not going to the front of the houses. He's going to the back of the houses. Now, panim and achor, panim and achorayim, the back and the front, are very significant terms when it comes to panimia satira. The panim represents the face, the inside, that which is real, that which is essential. When I see exactly what is what, when I see a friend's face, I know exactly who I'm engaging with. I know exactly who it is I'm talking to. I see distinction, I see specificity. But the achorayim, the backside, I don't understand who I'm talking to. The back looks the same for many people. It's again a doubled state of confusion. The king really wants to descend into the unconscious of the people. In the achorayim, in the backside, in the place of concealment, in the place of confusion, in the midst of night, to truly see what is the true nature of these people. And are they worried or not? Are they truly worrying? Or is it as I think, says the king, am I the one who worries the least? To attune myself and to listen to the words of the world. Now, Rabbi Nachman is pointing out over here that the king has to make two steps. There's two gestures. There's lahakshiv ulishmoa. Hakshava is attunement. It's mindful listening. It's opening myself up to listen to something other than the self-talk that occupies my brain most of the day. And only when I open myself up to listen to that which is going on outside of me, am I then capable of actually hearing what's going on. So the king says, not only am I going to be makshiv, but I'm going to listen as well to truly hear, to truly, truly try and understand what this world is like, says the king. I want to understand the worries of the people in this world. And again, as we're going to see, the king can be seen as HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But a Kaddish Baruch Hu creates a world, and a Kaddish Baruch Hu, in relationship to the world, on a certain level, everything is broken. Everything is limited, even our conception of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which is why a Kaddish Baruch Hu could use the language of who worries less than I do, because even a Kaddish Baruch Hu, after the Tzimtzum, can be said to have a certain mida of chisaron. A Kaddish Baruch Hu was Megala himself as an Indian of Tzimtzum. There's a constriction. It's no longer whole. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to listen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to hear. What is it that the people in the world are worried about? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes down deep into the darkness of the night and deep into the backside of experience to hear and to listen to the sounds that come out from his creation. To see, is there any human being who's actually capable of worrying less than I do? 
והיה שומע דאגס כל אחד, שזה אינו הולך לקסדה בחנוס, ואחר כך הולך לבייס אחר, ושם שיש לו דאגה שהוא צריך למלכוס, וכן שרחו לדאגה של כל אחד ואחד. And ultimately the king goes down, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes down into the darkness of this world to see what he wants to see, to see, so to speak, what his people are feeling. And he realizes that, wow, everybody's worried. Everybody has their own daigos. Everybody has their own things that they're afraid of. Some are worried about this. Some are worried about that. Da'agas kol echad. Each and every person has their own worry. Each and every person has their own particular baggage that they carry in this world. Nobody's trauma is bigger or smaller because everybody's universe is their own singular experience. Now the events can be more severe, avada. There are certain things that are absolutely traumatic. There are certain things that are relatively traumatic. But ultimately the secret of kol echad ve'echad is that each and every person is their own universe and I cannot compare myself to another person. My daigos are real even if they don't mean anything in relationship to what my neighbor has experienced. This is something that Rabbi Nachman teaches us very often, especially and most famously in Echad Haya Avraham, that each and every Jew has to see to it as if they are the only creature in existence and that their inner experience, their inner feelings are what is the basis of reality. Or as Rabbi Nachman teaches us in the beginning of the fifth teaching of Lakute Maharan, that each and every person has to say to themselves and to see to it as if the entire world was only created for them. It turns out then that if the world was created for me, I have to look and I have to gaze into the chisaron of the world to see how I can fix it. Each and every person has their own thing that is broken in the world, just as every person has their own thing that needs to be fixed in the world. And when the king, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes down into this world to see where our worry is at, whether there is the possibility of bitachon, of true bitachon in this world, of not worrying, Hashem, the Melech, so to speak, sees all of the different worries. One person is worried about this, one person is worried about that. The difference that Rabbi Nachman says here, there's two types of worries. There's worries about things that I'm missing, and there's worries about my relationship with the government. One is a collective worry, a current events worry, things outside of my control, the happenings on a grandiose scale of the malchus, of kingship, of governance, of countries, of climate, of weather, of disease, of whatever it is, of economy. And then there's also the private worries that each and every person has, our own particular lacks. We all live with both of those categories. But ultimately, the king hears the worry of each and every person. After hearing those worries, After encountering those worries of the world, after recognizing that, yeah, in truth, the world that I created, says the Melech, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, at least as I would like to understand and interpret this Misa. Obviously, everything I'm saying is just my own humble opinion. It is by no means an authoritative or the only way of reading a story from Rabbi Nachman. And God forbid to think such a thing. But ultimately, after he sees these worries, the king wanders off a little bit more. And now he sees a house that he's got to assume is going to be filled with worry. Why? 
because it's a bias echad, it's a singular home, it's isolated. It's one that's not necessarily part of the community, one that's disconnected on a certain level from the hustle and flow of community life, disconnected from other people, a certain sense of solitude. Bias echad namuch, it was low down. Now already, Rabbi Nachman starts setting us up, right? Because this house is stuck. It's low down to the ground. Obviously, there's going to be sadness here because the entire tachlis of a human being is to feel like we're upright, to feel like we're powerful, to feel like we're above the ground, to feel like we're different than the animals, to feel like we're higher than the afar, to ignore, never to remember those things that make us remember our mortality, things like this. But here it was a bias nomuch, it was a low, broken down house. Oimid karka, stuck within the ground. Here's a human being who's not even trying to pretend that being human is easy. He's accepted the difficulty of being human. His house is built into the karka, stuck on the ground, and that gravitational pull that seems to drag us sometimes. And the windows were low down, mamish close to the ground. A window, Chazal tell us, Allah dictates that it's good to daven in a place with windows so that a person could look at the Shemayim. The Chalon, the Chalonos are openings in our lives that allow us to peer beyond our human experience and to see beyond the confines of what it means to be stuck in this world sometimes, to hope towards something beyond our vision, to look up to the Shemayim, like Rabbi Nachman tells us so often. But here in this Yid's house, yeah, there were windows, but the windows were mamish smuchim lamata mamish l'arts. When you look out these windows, you see more ground. It's a person who's mamish stuck in what it means to be human, not even pretending that there's a way to escape it. V'hagag nafil v'nishbar. And even the security that we typically feel, our gag, our ceilings, those things that promise us protection from the outsideness of the world, even that's broken for this yid. Even that's broken. It's an aspect of ki avi ve'imi azavuni v'hashem yaspeni. For my father and mother have left me, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you come and collect me. This yid is lost. Father and mother has lost all sense of protection. V'ra'a shasham yoyshiv echad u'menagin al-akinor sh'sarich lahakshiv ma'oyid k'day l'shmoya sakol v'hu sameach ma'od. But when the king looks into this house, Instead of seeing worry, instead of seeing daiga and concerns and lack and deficiency and sighing and brokenness, what he sees is a singular individual sitting, playing on his harp. And not only was he playing on his harp, but he was playing a tune on his harp that the king had to bend his ear very, very carefully to listen because it was so low. This is a gavalt. This is Mamish, the secret of the Sameach Ma'od. The king looks and he sees in this broken house, he sees a Yid playing soft sounds of music. Now one would expect that the joyous sounds of music would be loud. It would be boisterous. It would be shining lights and exciting and news for everybody to see. It would go viral, so to speak. But here it's a private sound. It's a, it's a whisper. It's a sound that is so delicate that the king has to bend his ear to hear it. He has to do a double take to truly hear what's going on, the sweet sound that's emerging from this Jew's kinor, from this Jew's harp. 
Now, the harp obviously as a symbol is something that's deeply entrenched within the entirety of Pinimiya Satora, especially in relationship to David Amelech. And again, David Amelech is that individual who finds himself in this broken down house, finds himself struggling. He dalva ani ani. I am a poor and an impoverished individual. I have nothing of my own. The legs of Malchus dangle into the death-bringing territory. But nevertheless, this harp is being sung and played on. That's a very silent, silent sound that emerges. And he was very happy. Now, why couldn't Rabbeinu have written just Sameach? Why couldn't Rabbi Nachman have said that this Jew in the broken down house was happy, why did it have to say very happy? So I think we can look at the beginning of Parshas Paratius. The beginning of Paratius, it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw the creation of the human being and he saw that it was Toiv Ma'oid. Toiv Ma'oid, and Chazal asked, what's the difference between Toiv and Toiv Ma'oid, of good and very good? Rashi says in the name of Chazal that Toiv Zayet Serha Toiv, Toiv ma'oid zayet sahara. Toiv zechayim. Toiv ma'oid zemavas. Good is the yetzer hatov, the positive inclination, life. Toiv ma'oid, very good, is the negative inclination and death. Now, what this means is as follows according to many of our tzaddikim, according to many of the interpreters of these traditions, that there's tov which is good, but to make something very good, to force goodness to reveal itself to be truly a remarkable, almost miraculous power of good, that goodness needs to confront darkness as well. When things are going very well for me in my life, things are good. There's nothing bad in my life. It's a simple level of good. But when I'm able to draw the light of happiness and simcha into my life, even when things are not going well, that's toiv ma'id. That's very good. The very that additional element of goodness emerges specifically when we confront the opposite of good and we force the opposite of good to acknowledge the good. That's toiv ma'oid. When we force the negative angel to give us a brach on Friday night, that's tov ma'od. When not only do we find goodness and light, but we transform the darkness into light. That's toiv ma'od. Ma'od is the letters of Adam. Ma'od is the same letters as a person because the ultimate purpose of a human being as a Baal Bechira, of being thrown into a world of concealment in the darkness of night, with a house that's dug down deep into the mud with windows very close to the dirt, with a broken roof, it's specifically there that we're meant to uncover the secret of very good. That's the secret of what it means to be a human being, to be able to play on our kinor, to be able to play that silent song of our own simcha which is almost higher than the Simcha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak. Because again, Hashem is trying to see if there's anybody who worries less than he does. After the Tzimtzum, if it's possible for there to be a person who truly has a Hasaga of the Or itself. And what HaKadosh Baruch Hu finds, what the Melech finds, is that there's Mamish, a person who's Sameach Ma'od, V'kadeira Imashka Oymedes Lefanov. And there was a pot of food and a jug of drink in front of him. And the drink was wine, and the food was in front of him, and he was truly happy. Now, yayin obviously doesn't only mean an alcoholic beverage. It doesn't mean the mind-altering substance. 
Yayin is representative of anything that brings a person joy in this world. One of my favorite sources, Mamish, one of my favorite sources, is a tshuva that the Goyen and the Tzaddik, Rav Yitzchak Meyer Morgenstern, wrote. I want to say it was in Yam HaChachma Tafshin Ayin Dalid or Tafshin Ayin Hey. I, I could be wrong on that. And the tshuva is with regards to whether a person can be Yoitze Kiddush and the mitzvah Simchas Yantif with grape juice. Because theoretically, there are tzadim in the Paiskim that imply that the kiyum of the mitzvah of Simcha is the intoxicating element of yayin. And if the intoxicating element, which theoretically in an ideal sense opens the mind of an individual, if that's a fundamental necessity of Simchas Yantif, then you would not be Yoitze with grape juice. But with the Rebbe Paskins, based on all of the Paiskim, especially Rav Shlomo Zaman Arbach, Slusi Yoganaleinu, is that the MS a person can be Yotza the mitzvah of Simchas Yantif with grape juice. Why? Because the sense of intoxicating joy does not come from the mind-numbing quality of alcohol, but rather it comes from the simcha and the te'ima and the tainug that a person experiences when engaging in a positive beverage. And the Rebbe goes into this profoundly delicate aesthetic theory of taste, and he says that in truth, the taste of grape juice itself is intoxicating because it awakens a joy within the individual. And not only this, but the Rebbe says the reason that the Iker Posek in this sugya was Rav Shlomo Zaman Orbach is because we know that Rav Shlomo Zaman never had a smile that wasn't on his face. Rav Shlomo Zaman was Simcha embodied. It was the element of Chachma. It was the element of Shlomo, the Chachma of Shlomo Amelech. And in that level of simcha, there's no distinction between intoxication versus non-intoxication. The simcha emerges from the te'ima satainug. The pleasure does not come from the numbing of the mind, but rather from the experience. It's an amazing tshuva. And one whose theory needs to be opened up and understood properly for us to sometimes escape from the traps that we find ourselves stuck in. So when Rabbi Nachman says yayin, it doesn't mean that it was wine necessarily. It means that it was a pleasurable substance of some sort that brought joy to this person's heart. And this Jew in this broke down house was very, very happy. And not only was he very happy, but below daiga klau. There was no worry whatsoever. And here the king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, gets an answer. The thing that set HaKadosh Baruch Hu off in this mission was to see if there's anybody who worries less than he does, so to speak. Meaning to say in a world of tzimtzum, in a world of din where the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is concealed, is it possible for a human being to live as if there was no tzimtzum? Is it possible for a human being to live on that level where there's no tsar bechlal, where there's no yisurin? And L'chayr HaKadosh Baruch Hu felt, no, it's not possible. But here we find the man who is not only very happy, but below daiga klau. No worries whatsoever. It's a totally different category than the question we began with. In the beginning, it was assumed that everybody worries. It's just a question of the degree of worry. But here we find a man, an individual, all of us, the tzaddik, sitting in a broken down house, and we get an answer. There's no worry whatsoever. It's not only that he worries less, there's no worry whatsoever. 
Be'ezus Hashem, next week, when we continue, we're going to kind of look at exactly what the next stage of the encounter is when the king enters into this house to try and figure out what's going on. Be'ezus Hashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.